Thank you, Mark. You guys ready to get in the Word? If you'd like to follow along, well, you know what? Actually, before we get in the Word, uh, youth, you're dismissed to the youth group. If you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16 this morning. Acts chapter 16. We've been going through the book of Acts, and I've been calling this the Acts, not of the Apostles, right? But the Acts of the risen Lord Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, through His disciples, right? Because God is not just working through the Apostles in this book, but He's working through a lot of other people. In fact, the four people we're going to be looking at this morning, technically none of them were the twelve Apostles. Paul was commissioned as an Apostle to the Gentile. And then he's got three other guys we're going to be looking at. Silas, who wasn't an apostle. Uh, we have Timothy. He wasn't an apostle. Luke. He wasn't an apostle. He was just a disciple, a doctor, right? And yet the Lord worked mightily by his spirit through all of these men. And what this shows us is that the same God who was at work just through ordinary disciples 2,000 years ago in the Mediterranean basin, is the same God who wants to be at work amongst us here in San Fernando. Amen? Amen. Work in your and my life. And especially what we're going to see is the Holy Spirit's work in leading, guiding, and directing this morning. You know, we've seen the Spirit's work in all sorts of different ways up until this point in Acts. We've seen how the Spirit has empowered people to preach. We've seen how the Spirit has emboldened people for witness. We've seen how... He's empowered uh, people even for financial giving. We saw that in chapters 4 and 6. We see how he's empowered people for miracles. We see how he's fallen upon the Gentiles in Cornelius' house. We've seen how he's spoken to communities like the Cyrenians and the Cyprians and, the, and, and those in uh, Antioch to send out missionaries. Well, what we're especially going to look at this morning is how the Spirit-led by opening doors, by closing doors, by speaking through visions, by giving an inter, inner witness, how he, he used all sorts of means to guide Paul's steps, right? right? To lead him, to guide him, to direct him. And, and I believe that the way that the Spirit was working in Paul's second missionary journey here with Silas and, and how he was leading it, a lot of those principles that were worked then are the same ways that God works in leading, guiding, and directing our steps today. Amen? So we, we left off with Paul choosing a new missionary buddy. Remember, he broke up with Barnabas. He said, um, you know, we're going to agree to disagree on this one. We'll be good buddies down the line again, but you take Mark, you go to Cyprus, and I'm going to choose a new buddy, my buddy Silas, whose name was also Saul, just like Paul's name was Saul. His Hebrew name was Saul. So the two Saul buddies, they get ready, and instead of going on a journey by sea to Cyprus like he did on his first journey, he goes by land, and he goes up north through the territory of Cilicia, which is where he was from. It's his home region, and he specifically lived in the city of Tarsus there in uh, Cilicia. So let's read actually the end of uh, uh, chapter 15, the last two verses. Verse 40 it says this. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening 
the churches. Or why don't we pull up a picture just so you guys have an idea of what this is even talking about. I think a lot of time we read about all these places in the Bible and we have no idea uh, what the Bible's talking about. Can we pull up that map real quick? I don't know how well you can see it out there, but on the far right end you have Syria and toward the top end of that is Antioch. Well, they go up through that purple territory right to the left of Syria called Cilicia. That's where Tarsus is. And then up towards that green area there, which is Galatia, where Paul had been on his first missionary journey. And ultimately, they skirt around the top of Asia and then hop over on the far left top corner to Macedonia to the city of Philippi, which is where we will end the sermon this morning, which is about um, something like a 700-mile journey. So we're going to cover about 700 miles of Paul's journey this morning by looking at the first 15 verses of chapter 16. So we're told in the last verse there, Acts 15, 41, that he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening churches. Now, Paul, on his first missionary journey, did not go through Syria and Cilicia, right? He just went to Cyprus and he went to Galatia. But he had prior spent some time in Syria and the northern Syria, north of Antioch, and in Cilicia. And so he would have established works there before his first missionary journey. In fact, he spent probably around a decade in Tarsus as God was preparing him for being called to go on these great missionary journeys. So he's visiting all of his past friends and relatives and the churches he had established there at the time, and he's reading the letter that the Jerusalem council had just writ wrote, and, and Silas is talking about it, and it says that all the brothers there, all the, all the church, all the sisters in the Lord, they are encouraged, they're, they're strengthened. And, um, well, after some nice catch-up time with the Cilicians, we're told that he immediately then goes back to Galatia. And because he's going the opposite direction, not through Cyprus and then up towards the other end of Galatia, but since he's going the opposite way, he goes to the places that he had visited last in Galatia. This time he goes there first. So the last city he visited was the city of Derbe. And this is what we're told in Acts 16, verse 1. Then he came to Derbe... And Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. All right, so let's just stop there. You know, while Paul and Silas undoubtedly had much ministry in Derby and Lystra and Iconium and the surrounding villages that they had visited before in Galatia, what Luke wants to stress is not all of the ministry that went on there. Rather, he wants to stress one other important factor, that a third member had joined this missionary journey, this ministry team, and his name was Timothy. Now... From the time Paul had been gone, so the last time he was there in Galatia was probably now about two to three years ago. And so during that two to three year span of Paul's absence, we see that Timothy had grown as an important and influential Christian 
not just in the home churches of his home area, town, and, and Derby and Lystra, but also the surrounding Galatian cities and villages, probably as far as Iconium, maybe even all the way over to Antioch and Pisidia. And Paul seems to be so impressed with the call of God that is on this young man's life that he wants to take Timothy with him on the rest of the missionary journey. Now we'll see when you, know, you read the rest of the New Testament, Timothy becomes a really prominent character. In fact, he is mentioned by name in the New Testament 25 times. There are two letters in the New Testament that bear his name, 1st and 2nd Timothy, right? In fact, of Paul's letters, he's said to have co-authored with Paul four of his letters. Um, that would be the letters of Philippians, Colossians, and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. We'll see he visits Philippi with Paul on the second missionary journey. He visits Colossae. He visits Thessalonica. And so these communities would have been very familiar with this young man, Timothy. So when Paul writes the letter and he co-signs it with Timothy, they would have been encouraged. Yeah, these, these are the two guys who, who, who gave birth to the faith here in our own city. And so um, what Luke tells us is that, that Timothy here... He, he had a very interesting upbringing. He had a Greek father, but a Jewish mother. And you know, those sorts of mixed marriages were, were really forbidden in Judaism unless the Greek person had become a believer in Yahweh. Well, for some reason or other, I don't really know. There's a lot of different theories why. Maybe it was against the mother's will. Maybe it wasn't. But uh, Timothy found himself in a family with a Greek father, and with a Jewish mother, and as we'll see, with a Jewish grandmother as well. And what Jewish tradition at that time stated was that the nationality of the child was determined from the mother's lineage. You know, even Jews today, you know how they determine whether you're a Jew? By the mother's lineage. Is that right, Mark? By the mother's lineage. So in the eyes of the Jews, because Timothy had a Jewish mother, he too was what? He was Jewish. But apparently... Timothy's father did not want his son to get circumcised as a child, and his will reigned. Even though he permitted Timothy to be taught the Hebrew scriptures by his mother and by his grandmother, uh, he wouldn't go so far as allow him to be circumcised. That was probably too much of an issue of shame in his mind. He wanted him to be more of a Greek who didn't do that weird Jewish thing. We are told more about Timothy's upbringing in Paul's letter to Timothy, his two letters. And this is what he writes in 2 Timothy. This is Paul's last letter he ever wrote at the end of his life. And Timothy is like his last great friend. It's like uh, he's passing down his legacy, he's passing down his ministry, largely through his dear son Timothy. And, and he reminds Timothy about what God had done from an early stage in his life. And this is what he writes to him in 2 Timothy 1, verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Timothy is constantly on Paul's mind, especially when he's in prison in, 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 in Rome, and, and, and this could have even, even been from when he's imprisoned um, in, in Caesarea in Israel. And, and he's constantly on Paul's mind. And, and, and what does he say in verse 4? greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears. Probably when they last parted, Timothy had such 
such a connection with Paul that he, he just breaks down in tears when they finally part. And he says this, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. You know, that, that is such a compliment, right? When someone can say there's genuine faith in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He goes on later to talk to Timothy about how his life was being poured out as a drink offering. His life very much was about to end in martyrdom. But though I may depart from you, Timothy, though we may not see each other again, do not fear, but continue in the work of the calling of the gift that God has given to you. Continue in the work of being a soldier of the Lord. And, and this is the sort of relationship they have. A little later, talking about Timothy's upbringing too, how he had uh, Lois and, and Eunice teaching him the scriptures. This is what he says in 2 Timothy 3.15. And that from childhood, you, Timothy, have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad for parents who teach their children the Scriptures? How many know you, uh, uh, you could use more help if you're a parent teaching your children the Scriptures? I know, you know, even me with my daughters. I, I know I need the grace of God to do that. I found one thing I've been doing this new school year is I've been driving to school with the girls. I have them each read one page of a simplified version of the Bible. Then we discuss it. Then we pray. Then we pray the Lord's Prayer. But the point is, is, is what? It's finding intentional time and saying, you know, it's important to instill at a young age the Scriptures, right? Just like it was important for Eunice, and it was important for Lois, right, to, to steep Timothy, even though he was surrounded with, with Greek culture and Greek influence and unbelieving influence. He was going to be a young child who was going to grow up and be a believer, right, who was going to be fertile ground for the spirit to move on his life and open his heart and, and receive the goodness of, of who God was for him. You know, um, uh, Paul had, had a profound trust in Timothy. He, he says that, that Timothy had a sincere faith which proceeded from a pure conscience. And, and he was deeply encouraged by Timothy for the rest of his life. In Romans, Paul calls Timothy my fellow co-worker, even though he was much younger than Paul. In Corinthian, he call, Corinthians, he calls him my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. He even puts it even more endearing language in his letters to him. This is how he opens 1 Timothy in verse 2. To Timothy, a true son in the faith. You know, there's more, way that, that, there's more than one way to have children, right? There's natural children, but the best children are the children you have in the Lord. And, and, and Paul wasn't married, but he had sons in the Lord. He had people like, uh, Titus and Luke, and especially Timothy. Look what he writes in 2 Timothy 2.1. To Timothy, a beloved son, 
He calls him a true son. He calls him a beloved son. He's more than simply a co-worker. He, he is family. He is someone who, who he is totally imparting and instilling and investing a lot of time and saying, you know, I'm going to go to be with the Lord soon, but you're going to continue on in the work. You know, because Timothy had such a training in Scripture from a young age, and because he had a deep, abiding, and sincere faith, and because he was young and had ties to both the Greek and Jewish world, Paul probably looked at him and saw the great witness he had amongst the communities in the Galatian churches, and he said, this is the perfect addition to my ministry team. Most importantly, he would have sensed the calling of God, the anointing of God on Timothy's life as, as the elders in the churches at Derby and Lystra also sensed that call in, on Timothy's life and, and, and were told that they laid their hands on Timothy and they prophesied over him. Right? They, they saw what God was going to do in his life. Well, what about the circumcision business? It says the first thing he does to Timothy is have him circumcised. That seems so out of place here in the book of Acts, right? Hadn't Paul just written like a year before his most grumpy letter to the Galatians, right? And a lot of it having to do about you don't have to be circumcised. Didn't he just come from the Jerusalem council, which says, you know, people didn't have to be circumcised or observe the law of Moses in order to be saved. So why is it that the first thing Paul does is have him circumcised? Well, <laughs> first off, we know, for instance, the people that Paul didn't have circumcised, like Titus. In Galatians, he talks about how Titus came with him to Jerusalem, and he and even all the elders and the apostles in Jerusalem, none of them compelled Titus to be circumcised. But here's the thing with Titus. He was 100% a Gentile, a Greek. Well, how about, how about <laughs> Timothy? Timothy was half Jewish. And in the eyes of Jew, because his mother was the Jew, he was, um, you know, a full Jew. And since a large part of their missionary journey was going to be in Jewish communities of each city they visited, and they would be given opportunity to speak in the synagogues as traveling rabbis, Paul thought the most prudent thing to do in terms of ministry was to have Timothy circumcised so they could have more open doors to them. It was 100% a practical and tactical and mission, missional decision. It had nothing to do with Timothy's salvation, but rather giving Timothy greater access to speak into the lives of the Jews. Right? We know, we, we talked about how when they would go into the synagogues of those days, they had something where, where they would invite traveling rabbis and speakers. And when, when they see these great eminent men like Paul and Barnabas or other Jewish people, they would invite them to speak. Well, I don't think Paul's like, they might not invite you to speak if you're not circumcised. So let's get that done with first so we can walk through those open doors that God provides for us, right? So that's what they do. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, we know that Timothy was someone who didn't just travel with, with Paul as like, a, you know, some sort of a, a, apprentice or secretary, something like that. But he traveled as someone who also taught and, and preached. This is what 2 Corinthians 1.19 says. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, they go to Corinth on this trip, we'll see in the next chapter of, of Acts, who was preached among you by us, by who? By me, Paul, 
by Silvanus, which was Silas, and Timothy, who was doing preaching. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And, and, and uh, that uh, message was not yes and no, but in him, Jesus Christ was yes. And so <laughs> there is something about making practical, culturally sensitive decisions that will give us access that is important to our witness in evangelism, right? We don't want to offend people just to offend, right? No. If, if, if God is going to give us an open door to someone, we'll, we'll take the, the baby steps necessary to be able to speak into someone's life. For instance, if I somehow had an open door to speak into certain Muslim communities, you know, I would make sure that I respected their customs, right? I wouldn't go in with a double bacon cheeseburger, right? Why? Because they don't eat bacon, right? Uh, you know, if I was a woman, I would make sure I had my head covered, right? Why? Because that would be a big taboo no-no if I didn't, right? I would do whatever was needed to be able to have an entrance point to speak into people's lives. Well, that's the only reason Paul is circumcising Timothy here. It is 100% a tactical move. It's kind of like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. In 1 Corinthians 9.20, he says this, And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. And to those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. Right? So we have that, 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 that strategy of evangelism, of, of, of witness, that is important, right? Uh, you know, we have liberty, we have freedom in Christ. This has nothing to do with salvation, but we're not uh, going to use our liberty just to offend people. We're going to use our liberty to find ways in which we can effectively uh, speak truth into people's lives. Well, we know later in Acts that Paul is accused of teaching Jews that they should not circumcise their children. In fact, uh, in Acts 21, James and the elders told Paul about a lot of Jews in Jerusalem that were gossiping about his ministry, and they were making false claims about it. And so he's like, you got to show these Jews that what they're saying about you isn't correct. And so he, he talks about, we'll see when, once we get there, but he goes and he basically um, fulfills this vow there in Jerusalem. Well, this is what it says in Acts 21-21. James says this, but they have been informed about you, about Paul, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that you ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. Now, that, of course, was not true. Paul never does that. <clears throat> Paul only told Gentiles not to do that. But Paul did not have a problem with a Jewish uh, believer being circumcised or following certain Jewish customs. And he even told Timothy to be circumcised. So when him and Timothy were there in Jerusalem, he's like, these rumors you've heard that is true. Look what I did to this guy, right? Timothy, can you bear witness? And, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, he would bear witness. <laughs> I wouldn't want to bear witness like that. But. So, you know, we're, we're, we know that Timothy is real young when he joins Paul because in Paul's later letters to him, he says, don't let anybody despise you because of your youth. And one of the words that is used here concern, concerning uh, how young Paul was, it, it seems to indicate that Timothy was probably likely around 20 years old uh, when he signed up for this missionary team. And, you know, 20 in the Old Testament was the age that an Israelite uh, had to uh, be signed up 
uh, for war. <laughs> and, and that's really what Timothy is, is doing. He is essentially signing up for warfare. You know, this wasn't some, like, cushy, nice, uh, you know, vacation that he was going on, right? In fact, Paul uses warfare language a lot when talking to Timothy. He says that he is a soldier. He says that he needs to continue to fight the good fight of faith. We know that in the book of Hebrews, we're told that Timothy was imprisoned for the faith. Timothy would have known all the persecution Paul faced. He might even have witnessed, because he's from Derby and Lystra, where was Paul stoned? He was stoned in Lystra. He might, have, he might have been a witness. He might have been one of the disciples who gathered in a prayer circle around Paul and saw him raised from the dead, right? He understood that what he was signing up for was bearing a cross, right? It was something that would possibly be difficult, that would possibly be painful to the flesh, but in the spirit would be the most joyous, fulfilling, greatest thing he'd ever do in life, right? So all of the hardship that he looked at when he counted the cost of picking up that cross and going on that journey with Paul and Silas, he just counted it all as joy. The love of Jesus Christ inside of him was compelling him. He was moved by the Holy Spirit. He was encouraged by the prophetic words that were spoken up over him. And so he put down the plow. He didn't look back. And unlike John Mark, who went back partway through the missionary journey, Timothy stuck with Paul through thick and thin. In fact, none of Paul's other travel companions were quite like Timothy. He truly was a son in the faith. You know, every ministry, every church needs people like Timothy, right? Paul could never have done all that he was called to do unless he had people like Timothy that were surrounding him. Without someone fully invested in the same vision, in the same calling, you know, a lot of times ministries can't reach their potential. So God touches hearts like that of Timothy to come around and support a vision, a calling, an assignment. You know, when, when God anointed the first king of Israel, anyone remember his name? King Saul, right? Just like we're dealing with Saul in the book of Acts, whose name is Paul. Well, well, when God anoints the first king, Saul, and when Saul goes back to, to do his first work as king over Israel, you know what happens? He's surrounded by men whose hearts that God touched. I don't think I have this reference with you, but in 1 Samuel 10, 26, it says this, that Saul went back to Gibeah, his hometown, and valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. You know, God will touch your heart when you're supposed to surround a specific ministry in certain ways. God will touch your heart and say, I need to pray for that ministry, right? I need to volunteer in that ministry. I need to financially support that ministry. God will touch the hearts of the people to surround the people who have the vision, right? to surround people like King Saul, to surround people like the Apostle Saul, God will make it happen. He will raise up Timothys. He will raise up Silas's. He will raise up Titus's. He will raise up Luke's. So praise the Lord for the valiant men whose hearts are touched by God who come alongside various ministries to fight the good fight of faith. Well, what happens after Timothy joins Paul and Silas? This is what it says in Acts 16, verse 4. 
So now instead of two, there's three of them. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So this is the letter. Remember, we talked about last couple weeks, the letter that was written up at the Jerusalem Council. Verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers daily. So these cities that they went through, they're probably not just Derby and Lystra, but also Iconium, probably Pisidian Antioch, and all the other villages Paul had visited earlier in Galatia. And the result of this ministry, and the result of reading the letter from Jerusalem, is that churches were strengthened in faith. Not only that, but they increased daily in the number of believers who were part of those communities. What a beautiful summary, right, of their evangelism. Strengthening faith and growing churches. You know, the word strengthen in Greek there means to make solid and immovable, to be established. Who wants to here to be solid and immovable in their faith? I know I do. I want to be surrounded by people who are full of faith. I don't want to be surrounded by a community who says, oh, we kind of believe. Oh, you know, it sounds reasonable. Oh, let's water things down a little so it becomes a little bit more palatable, you know. No, I want to be surrounded by people who, when they read the word of God, they believe the word of God. Yes. And, they, and they pray like they're believers. I don't, want, I don't want to be surrounded by doubters. I want to be people who are strengthened and immovable, standing firm in the faith. Well, that's what Paul was doing, right? <laughs> we got enough churches, right? There's enough mainline churches that, you know, will water things down. But I want to be, be around people who, who really are immovable, who, 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 who are steady, who, who are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, who are unwavering when things happen and saying, I'm standing firm on the rock. Right. Of Jesus Christ, I'm standing firm on the word of God, the word which Jesus said in John 10, 35, his word cannot be broken. If Jesus said that about every jot and every tittle of the Old Testament, then that's good enough for me. His word will never be broken. And I stand with Jesus on that because he is the word of God. Now, this is what it goes on to say in verse six. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia. In the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go and do Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. I think that's probably a good interpretation of the dream, right? That dream wasn't too difficult to understand, right? So they get the message, and they're immediately, they're immediately obedient to the calling. <laughs> now, this is interesting. This whole passage is interesting, right? Paul has to change his evangelistic plans twice. This great man who's full of the Holy Spirit in faith, he has to change his plans twice because the Holy Spirit was forbidding and not permitting what he was intending to do. Now, I think a lot of people, when we read that verse, that Paul was forbidden to preach to Asia, what do we tend to think of? I think of like China, Japan, right? Is that what Luke is talking about? No. He's talking about the Roman province of Asia. So could we actually pull that picture up again? 
we have that picture? So here, you see that red territory? That's Asia. Where is Asia? Is it east of them or west of them? It's west of them. It's west of Galatia. So when they're forbidden to preach in Asia, they go up and around Asia over to the, the coastal city of Troas there in the far northwestern side of Asia there. This is the far northwestern side of modern-day Turkey, right? And, and they're in that area, and um, that's what it's talking about. Now, ultimately, we know that Paul does go to Asia. So what was this forbidding? It was a temporary forbidding, right? Paul's, uh, God is like, I just have a more pressing issue. There's some people you need to talk to first before you talk to the people in Asia. It's the people in Macedonia, that, that yellow territory there. You guys could go ahead and take that, that map down now. And so we know, for instance, that Ephesus, which is the principal city of Asia, Paul spends two years ministering there. He wasn't forbidden to go to Asia. He was just forbidden for a season. He was forbidden for a moment. God says, let me direct your steps. You'll ultimately get there. But now there's a more pressing issue. Now we know, for instance, the first... Uh, Three chapters of Revelation, chapters two and three. You know what they are? They're letters, letters that are spoken by Jesus, which the Apostle John writes down, and they're written to the seven churches of what? Asia, the territory we're talking about, right? And we'll meet a, a person from Asia. One of the churches that was mentioned is Thyatira. We'll see in uh, Philippi, we meet a, a lady, Lydia, who's from Thyatira. There was a lot of church and a lot of ministry that went on in Asia. Okay, <laughs> my point is that, my point is simply this. Sometimes we think we know what's best in our lives and what we should do, and God says, not yet, right? I have something else that I need you to do. I have something else that I have to prepare for you for. And in due season, when the right time comes about, we'll be able to do that assignment again. But now, now's not the time. Now I got a more urgent thing for you to do, and you need to be diligent and obedient in this calling. So what are they? They are. They're diligent and obedient. And they said, well... If he's forbidding us from Asia, maybe he wants us to go to Bithynia. We pull up that map again, actually. Where's Bithynia? <clears throat> Bithynia is to the north. Bithynia is to the north. See there, it says Bithynia and Pontus, right up there above Asia. They say, well, let's go up by the Black Sea. And God's like, no, I forbid you to go there, too. So where do they go? They say, I don't know what to do. Let's go to Troas. So they go to Troas, and what happens? There's a, a divine appointment in Troas. From the moment they reach Troas, the pronouns in the book of Acts change. It goes from speaking of they and, 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 to we. Why? Because the author of Acts has joined them in Troas. They meet the eminent great doctor and historian Luke right there in the port city of Troas. And I don't know if, 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 if Luke is hearing them preach. I don't know if he had been a believer at this point. I don't know if he's converted by Paul. But Luke it, it has this divine appointment, and, and he meets Paul, and they become inseparable partners really from there on out, working co-workers, co-laborers in the ministry. And, uh, you know, Luke, uh, Paul, I'm sure, was very excited to meet Luke because Luke, um, <laughs> you know, Luke actually wrote more of the New Testament than Paul did. And, and Luke, uh, you know, they say Luke's Greek, New Testament scholars say Luke's Greek was better than anybody else's Greek in the New Testament. It was even better than the Apostle Paul's. So here's this really smart intellectual. 
He's a historian. He, he, he's a doctor. There was a great medical school in Philippi, which was just across the pond from Troas, where they go next. And, and Luke might have might have had his home there in Philippi, which is in Macedonia, where God was calling Paul to go. And so God says, go to Troas. I'm going to hook you up with one of the greatest residents of Troas. His name is Luke. He's going to just be so important and influential to, to the entire history of the church. And you guys are going to go over to Philippi, probably where he got his medical degree from, and you're going to establish ministry over there in Philippi, right? So God is working all these things behind the background. You know, God works things behind the background when he closes doors for you. You know, when you see a door that's closed, that's not a bad thing. Now, sometimes it can be. I think there's one place where uh, Paul talks about how Satan hinders you. Satan can hinder you and try to close doors. But, you know, sometimes when doors are closed, it's God closing the door. And God says, I have something better for you, right? And I'm orchestrating things and I'm working things behind the background, and in due time, I'm going to exalt you in the positions you need to be. Even if you have to go through a season of, of darkness, even if you have to go through a season of cross-bearing that you don't understand, I'm ultimately work out all things together for good for those who love me and are called according to my purpose. So you don't need to worry about the closed doors. You just need to keep on being faithful. So what happens? Well, let's pick up in verse 10. Well, no, not verse 10, sorry. I'm going to read Acts 19, verse 10. You know, on his way back from his second missionary journey, Paul stops in Asia. And he stops in the principal city there, Ephesus. This is what we're told, Acts 19, 10. And so he continued in Ephesus two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia, or this is actually on his third trip. He goes back to Ephesus. He stopped in, in, in Ephesus at the end of his second trip. He goes back to Ephesus. And he dwells there in Asia for two years. In all what? All who dwelt where? In Asia. That whole big territory that, that the Holy Spirit had forbidden Paul from going there. All who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So God's like, when I open the door to Asia, it's going to be such a mighty tidal wave that everybody who's there in the entire region, they're going to hear about it. And there's going to be a lot of believers in Asia. Right. That's why when Jesus writes the letters in Revelation, all seven of them are, are churches in that Roman territory of Asia. All right. Let's jump forward now to some discussion about God leading us. You know, in, in the book of Galatians, Paul says that we are to walk in the spirit. Right. Walk in the Spirit, don't walk according to the flesh. And walking in the Spirit, you know, has this idea of being led by God. I believe God leads through all sorts of ways. He leads through inner witness. He leads by giving open and closed doors. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. He speaks to us in all sorts of different ways. And, um, you know... To be led by the Spirit entails fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Well, I think that that idea of being led by the Holy Spirit is really powerfully portrayed in the Old Testament after God delivers Israel from the land of slavery and sin in Egypt under that Pharaoh who's like a picture of the devil. And what is it? After they're the redeemed of the Lord, does God say adios? 
No, he says, I'm going to be with you every single day and every single night, 24 hours around the clock to lead and guide you in life. This is what it says in Exodus 13, 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire of night from before them. Wow. Even the old covenant, never will I leave you nor forsake you, right? God was with them every single step of the way. And yet, what did we see that, that generation in the wilderness? They were a generation of unbelief. They were a generation who drew back. They were a generation who was afraid of the giants. They were a generation who was afraid of inheriting the promises of God, right? But God is like, you don't need to be with you. Don't you understand that I'm with you? Every step of the way? I'm going to jump forward now back to Acts. Well, you know, one, one, one other thing it says is that, that uh, God spoke to uh, Paul by a vision, right? He spoke to him by a vision. You know, that's another way God leads you. You know he can speak, and he speaks many times through visions to people. In fact, in the book of Acts, we've already seen a ton of visions, right? When Peter's at the, uh, uh, giving the first sermon at Pentecost, next to, he says, he quotes the book of Joel, and he says, I will pour my spirit in the last days, right? Uh, old men, uh, men will dream dreams, and young men will see visions, right? And, and, and we see in Acts 7, Stephen speaks of the vision he has of Moses, and then Stephen himself, as he's being stoned, remember he has a heavenly vision, Jesus standing at the right hand of God, ready to receive him, right into his arms. In Acts chapter 9, we're told of Ananias having a vision where the Lord speaks to him about Saul. Of course, Paul has, uh, Saul, he has a vision on the road to Damascus, as well as while he's blind in Damascus, he has a vision of Ananias coming to him. In Acts chapter 10, we see the Roman uh, centurion Cornelius has a vision of Peter coming to him. And then Peter, who's in Joppa, he has a vision of how the Gentiles are to be saved by, uh, uh, you know, all the animals coming down to him in a sheet three times. <laughs> and, and then, um, you know, we see later in Troas, Paul has this vision of the Macedonian man. In Acts 18, there's another vision uh, Paul has while he's in Corinth where he's told in the vision to stay there for a long time because there's a lot of people that the Lord wants to save. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says he talks about how he's taken up in a vision and to the third heavens, this is while he was staying uh, before his first missionary journey in his uh, home city of uh, Tarsus. But what we see in all these visions and these dreams that are constantly repeated again and again is that God is a God who speaks. God is a God who leads. God is a God who directs, right? And so we can really be people who really take Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will do what? He will direct your steps. Amen. He might do that by visions. Now, on the road to Damascus, or this was actually not on the road to Damascus, after he's in Damascus, and Paul shows up in a vision to Ananias, right? the man who, who, whose name means the grace of Yahweh, who's about to take the, the scales away from Saul's eyes. This is what God says to Ananias in the vision in Acts 22, verse 14. Then he said, and he's speaking to Paul what God had related to him. The God of our fathers has chosen you, Saul, that you should know his will and see the just one and what? And hear the voice 
of his mouth. Amen. That you should hear the voice of his mouth. God wants us to hear him. I've never heard the audible voice of God. That'd be cool, right? But God speaks to us in all sorts of ways, right? He speaks to you in your heart. He speaks to you as you're still before him. He speaks to you through open and closed doors. He's, he speaks to you through visions and dreams. God speaks in a multitude of ways, and we just need to be open, and our ears need to be open to what he's saying. Amen? So let's conclude by looking at Acts 16, verse 11 through 15. Therefore, sailing from Troas, now it's all four of them, right? Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke. We ran a straight course to Samothrace. So this is a little island. And the next day came to Neapolis. Now that's in Macedonia. That's the port city. And came from there to Philippi. Philippi was named after Philip of Macedonia, who was um, Alexander the Great's dad. You know, Alexander the Great conquered the whole world, basically, right? And, and this, is, this is the territory he was from, Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. Where's that? That's in Asia. Who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So here we see, God says, shows Paul a vision, Macedonian man, come over and help us. So they come over, and they go to Philippi, the principal city in Macedonia, and guess what? There's no synagogues there. According to the Jewish uh, oral law at that time, you had to have at least 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. Apparently, they didn't have 10 Jewish men. But what did they have? They had some believing Jewish women, right? And these women said, you know what? There might not be a, an official synagogue in our city, but every Saturday, every Sabbath, we're going to go down to the riverside and we're going to pray, right? And as they're praying, as they're faithful in those prayer meetings, what happens? God shows up. He sends his apostle Paul. Maybe the man was really that woman, Lydia. You know, he just thought it was a man. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe the man was the Philippian jailer. He saves next, which we'll see next Sunday. But there were some people in great need in Philippi, and God goes there, and he meets Lydia, and guess what? This woman was a wealthy woman. She was loaded. In fact, it says that she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. This, people in the ancient world would have known, oh, a seller purple from Thyatira, that means she's got some dough. And we see later, what does she have? She's got a house. She says, you guys all need to stay with me. What, meaning she's got quite the accommodations at her house. And this is what we're told in, in one of Jesus' parables in Luke 16, verse 19. He talks about the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And this is how he describes the rich man. There was a certain rich man who was what? Clothed in purple... That was the color of royalty. It was the very expensive dye that was very hard to come by. The rich man was clothed in purple. Where did he get this purple from? From someone like Lydia who sold it to him. And fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. 
So here he meets this woman from Thyatira, where he had been forbidden to go, and she is just a beautiful um, open door for the church there in Philippi. Now, we're told that after they spend time in Philippi, that when they leave, Luke is no longer with them. He stays with them. He stays there in Philippi. Why? Maybe that was his hometown. Like we said, that's where he probably got his medical degree from. Uh, he does join up with them again, but at this point he stays there. Some people say, well, maybe, uh, maybe he saw Lydia and he met Lydia and they got married. <laughs> I don't know. That's big conjecture, right? But whatever reason, whether he already lives there, whether he you know, marries, whatever, he stays there. And Philippi, like I mentioned in the offering this morning, Philippi becomes the most important congregation in all the, the Mediterranean world that will financially support the ministry of Paul. He says, no one is like you guys. And you know who I think was the person who stirred up the people to financially support and gave a lot herself? I think it was Lydia. You know, God raises up people, the right kind of people, the Lydias, the Lukes of the world, and really everybody, whether we can give a dollar, whether we can give a dime, whether we can give $10,000, whether we can give a million dollars, whatever we can give, right, the Philippians had a heart to give. And that's what we see in the courtesy of Lydia. That's what we see just in the fact that uh, she seemed to be someone who could fund big missionary projects like uh, Paul's group of, of four that were going around. Amen? So we're going to take communion. Anybody here not uh, receive a communion element? Go ahead and raise your hand.